everyone, and welcome to this episode of LaRue's Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and with me always is Derek Brissett. Derek, like always, we have tons to talk about. Canada losing to the Springboks, Canada getting ready for Namibia, a typhoon, and possibly a World Cup in North America in 2027. Now, Derek, Derek... There's remember what, remember when we about. thought that this uh, we wouldn't have a whole lot to talk about in this podcast because we did one like three days ago. Oh yeah, yeah. So that that went that went out the window. So yeah, the rugby world has just been on fire. Like yeah, this, it's like, that world rugby is just that dog and that meme in the middle of the fire, just saying yeah. everything is fine. Yeah, I know it's it's crazy because it's like Mananu signed in MLR, and we're like we have like at least four things to talk about before we even get to that. Listen, I mean. He's not really the biggest signing so far this week. I mean, Connor Key's signing with Atlanta. That's pretty big news. Actually, Connor, Connor Key's signing with Atlanta is, is actually is bigger to us because he's Canadian and that's like the content of the podcast. I wouldn't so. say bigger. I would say more relevant. You know, we're, we're going to talk yes. about that because I think, I think his signing is actually something that's important to what I, what I personally think uh, MLR should, uh, should become. But, you know, we're going to start... With the game that Canada just played, Canada loses to the Springboks, 66 to seven. You know, it was a uh, tough first half for Canada. They just were not really in it for for good parts of the game. Uh, I mean, after 11 minutes, they're they're down 19 nothing, and it, it really got worse after that. So, Derek, my first question to you is: Is this poor start that Canada had in this game pretty conducive to the rest of the other games that they've been playing in the last year or so? Oh, like, like, what do you mean? Like, that they got scored on really quick? Or just that, like, the entire first half is something that uh, we should probably sh- should just skip over and not even talk about? I mean, they're both tire-fire answers. So, I mean, whichever yeah, way you want to go with this. I mean, I think, yeah, like, uh, Canada, Canada has definitely, you know, when you actually kind of look at it, especially with the uh, the World Cup so far here, I kind of wrote about it just uh, with uh, my g- game preview for uh, the Namibia match. And it's just, so in the World Cup so far, Canada's given up a try after two minutes, which was just against the Springboks, after eight minutes against New Zealand, and it just took Italy seven minutes. So it's like every, every like, it just... Um, the Leinster game, they had a big hole to climb out of two. They got scored on really early in that. Uh, USA got a couple early tries earlier this summer too. Um, during the ARC at PNC, teams were scoring. Like teams have been scoring on Canada first, um, pretty often. So, uh, yeah, like I, I don't really know. I think I think part of it, in all honesty, is it's like, like I. I as much as we, you know, love the Canadian national rugby team and stuff, it's like we gotta, like you gotta kind of gotta like there, there's a big gap between Canada and the Springboks or the All Blacks, so it's like those score lines aren't necessarily something that you're surprised at, but it's just, you know, and I think part of part of the reason that Canada's has struggled in in the past two games, I think, is just simply because they're playing two of the best teams in the world, um, which is just kind of gonna happen. And I think part of that, what makes some fans frustrated is you look at their second half of that game yeah, and the score was 14 to seven for South Africa and Canada was down a man because of uh, the red card to Larson, mm-hmm. to Josh Larson. So I, I, I get what you're saying because these are, again, 
two of the top teams in the world. Yeah. Um, but you hope that maybe that the, the, the it would have been at least a little bit closer, especially with the start of the game when you're both both teams are fresh. Maybe yeah. that just means there's more mistakes because both teams are fresh and they want to kind of open the game up a little bit. But um, you know, what did you think about the second half? Because we're, we're going to talk about Josh Larson in a second. I wanted to get into this second half. What did Canada do so well? And I mean, we've talked about Canada's second halves being where they kind yeah. of rise to the occasion if you look at the, all their tries really which were only two in this world cup they're both scored in the second half mm-hmm. um but what what has been canada's knack in the second half that they've adjusted to i i i don't know man like i uh i don't i don't know if it's just the game maybe the game seems out of reach and they relax more and just play rugby at that point instead of you know trying to i don't know beat the all blacks of the spring box maybe it's just Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just it takes them a while to get settled down and realize that they can actually, you know, to an extent that they can actually play with these guys. And it's just, you know, it, like maybe there's that just that initial shell shock. I think there there was a couple plays in the first half. Um, there was th- that one play in particular. It was uh, I believe it was it was uh, which was it was right was it Reinach's first or second try that was off the cross field kick. Um, but there was that the play where um, Elton Jantis sent like a cross field kick and uh, Jalant just kind of ran onto it in stride, took it out of the air and just took off. And I believe like DTH was the winger on that play as well. And it's like he just was I don't really want to say he was at a position, but he wasn't in a spot to make a play on Jalant when he actually got the ball. And but you could tell by like the way the rest of the Canadian team reacting, it's just like that's that's a tier one play. Like that's just it's a world class play to set that try up, um, you know, uh, with that cross field kick. And it's just it almost just looks like it's like that's just something that we don't like we don't know how to defend. Uh, like there's the, at no point as soon as the ball left Jantis's boot, you're like, this is a try, because if that <laughs> if if he if Gillette makes this catch, there is no stopping this at all for the rest of the way up the field, and there wasn't one one guy uh, caught up to Gillette, and it was just an offload to Reinhardt who uh, ran it all the way in, um, and and like there, so I don't know if it's just like once maybe like it's just I don't know if it's just like they settled down. Uh, they settled down more in the second half. Uh, maybe right. it was just maybe the like, maybe it's just something as simple as like the pressure's off because like the scoreline's so big, um, you only have to play with fourteen guys. Maybe like uh, you know, so it's like no one's like nobody's expecting you to come back in this game. But it was, I thought their like their second half. Like I don't know, maybe Tyler Ardron gave like the king of all halftime speeches. Um, Make that or, speech at the beginning of the game. Like, come on, Tyler. Like, <laughs> uh, make a good speech at halftime. Make a good speech at the start of the game. Yeah, like, I, I, man, like, I, like, yeah, maybe, maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was one of the reserves guys that was just sitting on the bench, being like, coming up with the speech during the first half. Um, but it's like, man, they they came out with like some purpose and some intent in the second half. Um, you know, and like they like the second half, honestly, is something that they can be proud of. Uh, you know, like it was only like uh, two tries, uh, two tries and a penalty, I think, uh, to one try. Um, so it's like you could, uh, sorry, I believe it was it was nineteen seven in the second half. Um, but it, uh, like there was like they actually like they played well against South Africa. Those holes that the South African players were running through in the first half were gone in the second half. 
Um, Canada, especially like Lucas Rumble, Matt Heaton, they started winning some balls in the breakdown, uh, earning some turnovers. Um, it was just a significantly, it looked like a significantly better team um, right. came, came out of the sheds for the second half. Like, it's almost like it didn't even look like the same team. It was like there was, I think it was an actual better team that came out in the second half. And it's just unfortunate that that, that that same team didn't come out to start the game. Um, Cause then, you know, maybe, maybe the scoreline doesn't look as skewed as possible, but like with the way Canada was playing, like if you go through social media at halftime, people were talking about what the like, you know, like triple digits, the record from like the biggest deficit or the biggest loss that Canada's ever had. Like, it was just like, you know, like we were like looking at like, you know, a lot of the big guns for South Africa, like Marks, Christoph, Etzebeth, they were all coming off the bench and we're like, it's already at 47, nothing. Like what, like how bad yeah. could this get? And then they came out of the gate in the second half with a try from Matt Heaton off a line out of all things. Um, <laughs> so it, uh, which was, uh, which, you know, the line out's been one of those areas where they, they've, they've really struggled in and to see them actually, you know, use it super effectively and score a try down down a man against one of the best packs in the world um was just kind of like sweet like where was this uh 45 minutes ago um and like it's like you're they're clearly capable of doing it they're clearly capable of you know playing at the very least like i'm not saying they're capable of like beating south africa by any means but like they're they're capable of playing with them and at least like i think the second half showed that like they could like at the very least they could t somewhat i mean if they played like that the whole 80 minutes um like the, the scoreline probably would have looked a lot more respectable um, yeah. if they were able to bring that with in for the full 80 um it's just i don't know man in the first half it's just uh you know rugby's hard to play if you don't have the ball at all yeah um, and then you know the first like the first half i just think as far as comparisons go it's the worst possible outcome it was just you know one team absolutely destroying another team and then that the team that's getting destroyed ends the half with a red card and gives up more tries so and we're about to talk that red card in a second but one point i wanted to make is i think a lot of and again this is my personal opinion. If anyone wants to debate with me about it, that's fine. But I think yes. a lot of... Send came... all your angry tweets to Dan and Dan only. Yeah, there you go. Leave Derek out, Leave Derek out of this. Yes. But uh, I think a lot of the problems that a lot of these Canadian players have is that it just comes down to like time management and experience. You know, these Springbok players have been... Unless they're, they're just coming of age, they're younger players, have all been playing professional rugby for five years. You know, you can't say that about, a lot of I would say, 80% of this, this lineup. I would say probably more than that. You know, MLR has done a lot of things, but it's only been around for two seasons. Yeah. We're going to our third now. You know, like there's guys that are still amateurs on this team. So that being able to start on time, that's, you know, uh, not, uh, you know, taking uh, bad penalties, you know, that the conserving your energy, the, the, the defensive structure of a team, like it only works if your guys are in constant competitions that you get to be exposed to different types of defenses and you know different skill levels of players so i think that's probably really and it's showing in these games that yeah, yeah in, in a what half canada can compete pretty closely to the spring box they're still gonna lose but that's a much closer game 
Well, I mean, I think like we've we've kind of seen it throughout the tournament. Like, um, I mean, I was we're probably going to talk about it, dive into it a little bit more when we preview the next match. But, dude, that Namibia's first thirty minutes against the All Blacks was like nearly flawless. And you know, you actually, think that's how it. You think that's how a tier two team would do it? They would start off hot yeah. and compete very, very well in the first half, and in the second half they teeter off. That's what's like, so strange just, about Canada. Yeah, but I, I think the point is just more of it's like a tier two team can play with a tier one team. Um, the tier two team has to be like probably has to be on their best day. Like I don't I don't think I've ever seen Namibia play better than what they did in that first thirty minutes. Um, but it's like to have. Like you said, it's like there's a part of it to have like the money, to have the resources, to be able to have like the physical, like the fitness, the ability, the the coaching to actually maintain that for full 80 minutes. It's like once like when when the Namibia, the Namibia first 30 minutes, it's kind of the same thing as what happened in this Canada game. It's like one half looks completely different from the other half. It was like there was the one half where it's like the team kind of showed that, you know, maybe they're losing, but they kind of showed that they can hang with the tier one team. And then there was the other half where it was like they looked like they didn't belong on the pitch with the tier one team. And they both kind of had that. But it's like both tier one, tier two teams can typically show like those moments of brilliance. Um, It's just a matter of. Like they said, it's like sometimes it's just like those resources to be like get you into more games, get you into like feel out the more the game situations and stuff more. Like learn how to, you know, maybe it's even just something to be in like you know if you play more games, maybe you have a g- play in a game where you come back from down twenty. So when you're already down twenty, you're like you're not too worried about it. You've played in a game where you've like overcome this deficit before. Um, but it's just there's there's a lot of you got to like obviously. You gotta like the difference between like New Zealand, Africa, or New Zealand, South Africa, Ireland, all the big tier one nations is obviously they have the money to put into it, and all the players have been completely devoted to like it's a different. They're on a kind of they're just on a different level because that's the resources that they have, and you know Japan uh, kind of developed the pro league and they started pumping more money into the program and like that's like you can see what a tier one or a tier two team can become. From like Japan's trajectory, it's just here's a pro league, here's more money going into the program, um, and then now they're knocking off tier one teams. Uh, they obviously had a huge upset against the Springboks in 2015. They beat Ireland earlier this year. Um, honestly, if they play Scotland, um, unfortunately that's an if they play Scotland. Um, <laughs> but if if they play Scotland, I genuinely think they can beat Scotland. And they should beat Scotland. They should, and I think um, that's the point. A lot of things fans are thinking yeah, is at this point, we all expect Japan to be moving on. So they, this, this, yeah, this like I don't game like be very interesting. Like yeah, like Scotland's playing the full like you know we're like it's this is unfair and we're getting like you know we're getting robbed and stuff. And then like ah, you guys probably gonna lose anyways. Uh, yeah, just like we, just like everyone seems to be like Italy was gonna lose. But yeah. uh, which is also very un. Well, we're gonna talk about the. We'll talk about the typhoon later. We will. Uh, but uh, but like tier two teams can like are capable of playing on this level. It's not like like I mean like you have especially on Canada you have individual players too. Like uh, DTH Vanderbilt and Tyler Ardron are elite players. Like they're not even elite players by like Canadian standards. They're like actual elite players. Tyler Ardron plays. Tyler Ardron lines up next to Brody Retallick on a weekly basis. 
Um, like that's the kind of level that he can play at. Um, same with DTH Vandermeer is the third all-time leading try scorer in the Pro 14. Like he's third all-time in a Tier One like club league. Yeah. Um, so it's like he's like that's what he is. Um, and like so it's like you can kind of mix into that, and they can play. It's just a matter of. You know, you need that development, and I think honestly, if you have, if you give tier two teams like more, te- like even if it's just like one test a year, we'll be like, we'll throw, it, give you a tier one nation. Even if it's especially being in the Americas, like even if it's just like let's play Argentina like once a year or something, um, it would be, like I think like it would just benefit those nations a lot more, um, because they, because they, quite frankly, it's like like I said, you can see it on some plays like that cross field kick, and it's like you can tell, like it's like that's something that like. Like, I don't know, man. We've watched the ARC. We watched the PNC. Like, I don't know how many cross-field kicks to guys in stride on an open side of the field we have seen in throughout any of those tournaments. It's just exactly. it, they bring a different level of skill. They bring a different level of tactics. Um, they just it, – it's just – it's a much higher level. It's difficult to compete with that. But in the second half, it was really nice to see that they put their best effort forward, and they could – and I think that's that's a great point. You know, they they did not up, and they really forced forced South Africa's hand in the second half. Um, yeah. They, so the they, next they, thing I want to talk about, they made life difficult on South Africa in the second half. South Africa had the forty-seven point gap already installed, but like <laughs> they, they made it difficult on them in the second half. Yeah. Uh, so the second thing I want, uh, I guess, the third thing I want to talk about in this uh, from this game is uh, Kyle Bailey. Mm. Uh, he. This was his first game of the World Cup. Uh, you know, it, it was very t- well talked about. He would have been the first Canadian from Prince Edward Island to play in a World Cup. Um, he still he is. Still is. Still he is. is. He did he, play. He accomplished he got, that. He played 12 minutes uh, and then uh, was taken off the field. Yeah. Derek, my question is, Is was this handled properly? Obviously, we can now see that his injury was not 100 percent uh, healed yeah did any of this really make sense for him to even be playing in this game like i know it's i know it's the cell uh, the spring box and i know as an athlete he wants to be in this game yeah but did it make sense for him to be playing i honestly i like i mean uh, yeah. hindsight's 2020 we're seeing the aftermath and we're going back and judging the decision it's tough too. It's just like you know, we we don't see the X-rays. We didn't. It's not like we've been. We didn't see the X-rays, the MRIs, or whatever was done. We didn't like you know. We weren't talking to Kyle Bailey or the or the Canada doctors or Kingsley Jones or anything. So it's difficult to just kind of like kind of look back at it in hindsight. But it really does kind of seem that way. Like he he definitely in those twelve minutes that he played, he looked a lot slower than normal. He wasn't moving as effectively as he normally does. Uh, he missed a couple tackles. I think, um, I believe, if I can actually just pull that up real quick, I think, uh, where is it? World Rugby website. If you go to, yeah, so Kyle Bailey missed four tackles in the 12 minutes. Like, it was like that, like, he just, he wasn't, he wasn't himself um, mm-hmm. throughout that game, right? Like, you could tell, you could tell even before he went down and he left. So it really, it really kind of does, I think it does force you to, at the very least, question, like, the, like, I mean, obviously, like I said, it's a lot easier for us to do it after the fact. 
Um, but it's like it's it's pretty like you have to kind of question whether or not he should have been playing at all. Yeah. Obviously, too, now that we have the uh, the lineup for the match against Namibia, he's not he's not playing again. Um, so he it does like there's a couple of things there. It's like obviously as a player you want to play, um, but I think you know if you kind of got to look at it, it's like you do have to question if whether or not this was handled more prop uh, properly. You got to question too, like. Because he in, he suffered this injury before the tournament, so you kind of almost have to. Would Canada like? I mean, as valuable as Kyle Bailey is to this team, um, even just like would would it have been more beneficial to call up somebody else um, if you were concerned that he wouldn't be able to play at all? Because it looks almost like you forced them to play, or I want to say forced them to play, but you like it looks like he he rushed back. Um, whether it was like you know the coaches wanting to rush him back or him trying to right. rush back himself, regardless of what happened, he was rushed. He he was rushed back and he injured his knee again. Yeah. Um. And you know it's one of those things. that's like you know, you know, like I know everybody wants to play, but at some point it's you know should we have called up somebody else to just replace? Be like, hey man, if you, if you can't play during the tournament, uh, we'd love to have you in Japan because you're an important leader to the team. So still hop on the plane and come to Japan. But we gotta maybe we gotta we, maybe we should they should have given up the roster spot. I don't know. It's and it's I think and like I said, it's tough to tell because you know hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, and I think that that's really unfortunately with what how this how uh, media and, and podcasts work, we can only use hindsight to answer these yeah, kind of questions. Exactly. And I think you know one of the things that people have accused rugby Canadian uh, Canadian rugby fans of is you know you know game targeting and saying oh well, you know this Namibia game is the most important game because it's our most winnable game and you know like saying you should really try to balance out your lineup even though that game is important but I really think that is a strong point at least in in Kyle's position that if he wasn't 100% they should have saved him because especially with such yeah. a short rest between the two games that he could yes, have rested this game and then and then been maybe maybe that extra five days or whatever the difference between the two games could have given him a better chance at playing a little bit longer and yeah. and you know kyle's 28 years old this year uh last april so i don't know what the shelf life is for a professional uh rugby player that's especially a lock that plays a very tough uh position so i don't know you know he'll be he'll be in the next world cup he'll be around 33 years old so I don't know if that's hey going to... Hubert Biden's is still playing World Cups. Yeah, exactly. Hubert Biden's is going to play for the NOLA Gold next year, too. Yeah, so... The man you know, is, man, that man's a tank, bro. That man, yeah. that man is a tank. And props, props are... They're, they're interesting, different creatures. So, you know, it would be interesting that maybe maybe this was a him saying, I need to get in this game because I don't know if I'm going to make it to the next World Cup. So he just wanted to get his, 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 uh, his game in. But, you know, it's it's a tough situation because, like you said, we don't know what happened. Yeah. We don't know what doctors said. We don't know if this was his decision or if it was the, the team's decision. It's just it's unfortunate because there could have been things done to maybe prevent this. And then that's something that seems to be a theme for this episode because we'll talk about that later. Um, but the last thing we're going to talk about about this game, because really there really isn't much more to say about Canada's performance if this was a Springboks game, we would have a lot to talk about. But the last thing we want to talk about is uh, Josh Larson's red card. Now, I'm sure everyone has seen the video of him going to apologize for uh, for the red card in Springboks after the game. And you know, kudos to 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 Josh that takes a that takes a, a man with with an ego to really just erase it and 
and say, I own up to something and I'm sorry. And, you know, he, he was levied his punishment. It's unfortunate, but uh, how did you feel about, about the card? Did you think it was necessary? Do you think that it was the right call, or do you think that maybe they were being a little too harsh? Um, I, I'm not, I'm honestly, like, I, at first I was, when I first saw it, I was kind of like, maybe that's a little harsh. And then during halftime, I watched the replays and I was like, mm, like, yeah, it's probably a red card. <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, I took off, I took off the Canadian colored glasses at halftime and then was like, ah, that might, that might be, uh, that might be a red card. Um, honestly, it's, it's, it's tough, man. It's, he, um, on one hand, he enters from the side, which is already illegal. Um, That's one. He doesn't wrap. He, there's no wrap. He doesn't. His arms aren't there. That's, That's already two. illegal. And he hits him in the head. Or That's three. Neck, the neck head. So it's like it's it's two illegal actions, and you hit the guy in the head. Um, so I'm like, yeah, it's, that's a red card. If it was like a shoulder charge to the head, maybe you get away with the yellow. If it's just you're in from the side and it's hit, happened to make contact with the head, maybe it's a yellow, but like the two actions and then it's, uh, yeah, like I think I, I, I know people have been questioning the, um, like some of the officiating at this tournament, but I think, especially, I thought the ref actually handled it really well. He did a good job with the actual like review and looking at it too. Um, but I think, I think, I think it's like, yeah, it, I thought he deserved it. It's two illegal actions to hit to the head. Um, he's, just, you know, unfortunately, that means, you know, he's, you know, he's out. His World Cup's done. It's not really the greatest play to end your World Cup on. Um, and you know, he's suspended for three games, so it'll be he misses. Um, the game against Namibia, and then he's going to have to miss um, the first two games of the MLR season as well. Oh, see, I thought that it was three weeks. That makes a lot more well, sense. You, there's no, there's no, no sense in suspending a guy if there's no yeah. rugby happening. Good. Um, Good. Yeah, he does. Uh, the Free Jacks will be without his services for the uh, first two weeks of the season. Okay. Well, and, and there's really not much more talk about. You hit it right in the nail on the head. You know, it's it's uh, we're in t- obscure point, but uh, if anyone has ever seen that video of uh, Artie Anisimov, who was a player for the Winnipeg Jacks a few years ago, and I think it was Anisimov, he he elbows someone, and then he's arguing, arguing, arguing with the refs, and he's sent in the penalty <laughs> box, and then he looks up at the jumbotron and sees the play happening. And he goes, "Ooh, yeah, no, yeah." Yeah, that's yeah. really. Just, I just, felt the same way about this. Yeah, and then he does like that hockey player, like really fast nod, like yeah, I screwed that up. Yeah, um, yeah. that is actually if anybody listening that hasn't seen it, Google that because it is a hilarious video. It is a very funny video because uh, he basically just like just, just the el- contrast like, of him losing his. But it was even just the the, the, the hilarious part though, was just the contrast of him absolutely losing his mind, looking up, and then just being like, "Oh, okay." Okay. Yeah. Also, I'll sit here. I'll sit here for two minutes. Okay. Okay. Well, we've talked enough about that game, and uh, we're going to move on because Canada's last game against Namibia is this Saturday in Canadian time at eleven fifteen. I believe this kickoff in Canadian uh-huh. time. You just made you just confused everybody in like PEI, Newfoundland, uh, Alberta. Sorry. BC. Okay. All the other time everyone, zones that are great nations. Everyone has. knows. Everyone knows Ontario is the most important province. It's re- Ontario really is Canada. So everyone, stop your griping about it. Whatever. Center of the universe. Center of the universe. 
If you're not near Toronto, what's the point? <laughs> uh, but Canada or, uh, Canada has made a few lineup changes from the last game, obviously. Um, how, Eric Howard pulls back in into the game at starting hook. Uh, Connor Keyes is back into the lineup. Uh, I'm surprised, actually, that Evan Olmstead is in. He looked like he was in rough shape near the end of the game, but it looks like he's fine. Uh, Gordon McRory is uh, back at 9, and uh, Patrick Parfrey is also back at the 15 jersey. You know, and the the bench actually looks quite different with uh, Kobach on the bench, Jay McKenzie on the bench, and the call-up of Dustin Dabrowski, uh, which we'll get into in just a second. Um, what do you think about this lineup, Derek? Do you think that really this this is the best the sh- best chance for Canada to get a win at the World Cup? Yeah, I do. It's what um, they have, it's what they have, I should say. Yeah, exactly. I do. I mean, there's um obviously there's uh there's they kind of been ravaged by injuries. There's a there's a lot. Um, you know, and, and to key players too, like obviously, like you know, Taylor Paris, Bailey, uh, Mike Shepard got a concussion in the last game. Just kind of seems like it keeps piling up. Um, so I think I genuinely think I think like like I mean, we we've debated certain positional selections like the scrum half and stuff b- before on the show. So there's no sense in doing it again. But I think like with without a doubt, this is what Kingsley Jones believes is his best lineup. Um, and I think, I think this is, I think this is the lineup that gives Canada the best chance to win, uh, win the game against Namibia. I really do like Shane O'Leary being on the bench. Personally, I think he should have been playing a lot more at this tournament. Um, so it's nice to see him in one of the bigger games. Um, I think Dustin Dabrowski kind of interesting. I mean, if you're him, that's gotta be at least kind of cool. Get called up and you're going to be playing in the last world cup game. Um, Obviously, you know, it's a bit of bit of unfortunate circumstances for why he's here. Um, but like you said, like we have uh, Kyle Bailey's hurt. Mike Shepard has a concussion. Uh, Blanchette missed the tournament. Josh Larson's getting suspended. Um, so, uh, but the decision to call up Dustin Dabrowski, I think, is a little little interesting. Just because, you know, obviously we're, we're definitely hurting on the... Um, in the second row right now um, with those injuries that I mentioned um, as well as the suspension. Um, and I think, uh, but to call up Dabrowski, who's typically a back row player. Um, so him and Luke Campbell are the two, uh, well, the, the two second row or the two, uh, two of the five forwards. Uh, the first three, obviously are all front row players um, that are on, on the Canadian bench. Um, but so it'll be interesting to see what happens in the event. Like, I'm assuming obviously this probably means that to some extent, like Olmsteader Keys might be playing the whole game. Um, it'll be interesting to see though if they and like what Kingsley Jones does if any of those players have to get subbed off or if there's an injury to Olmsteader Keys. Um, it'd be interesting to see if you know Tyler Ardron, who typically plays lock for the Chiefs, but is definitely Canada's best eight. And so he had slotted back there, but he does play lock for the Chiefs. So it'd be interesting to see if uh, if Kingsley Jones decides to move him to uh, to lock if it's necessary, um, depending yeah. on how the game plays out. And yeah, I think I think with this lineup there is versatility. I mean, like you said, Ardron can play at lock. So if Keys or Olmstead needs to come out, he can switch into lock, and Campbell can come on, or Dombrowski can move to six, and Rumble can move to the eight man. So there. The pack it had, does have versatility, and in my opinion, this front row is Canada's best option. 
Uh, I think Sears yes. Jr. has been the best prop at the World Cup. I, he just seems to be him and Nicky both seem to have the strength and also the speed that is needed in modern day props. I mean, this gives Biden's and Tierney the ability to be impact subs coming off the bench. I mean, I think that's where I wanted Biden's to play during the uh, mm-hmm. when we first did our roster guesses all, many moons ago. So I'm happy with that. <laughs> um, the only hey, thing the, that, the prop that I had starting isn't even on the roster at all. So your projected well. roster did a lot better than mine. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to go through that at maybe at the end of the tournament. Uh, but the only thing that really kind of uh, and this is a, this is like a tiny gripe is I really really liked what Andrew Co has brought, but in terms of just you know giving your your young players experience, I would have liked to seen Theo Sauter take the twenty three jersey and maybe gotten a shot to play a little bit. Like you know, I you got to reward your young players. So I I understand why Co's on this lineup. So I have no problems with it. Coe's but I also would have liked too. to seen Sauter Sauter play, and I mean. Again, your your backs lineup is so versatile, and Nelson can move to to full back or to center. Parfrey can move to center. Uh, Trainer can move to wing, and you know there's just a lot of versatility with his lineup. So, I think that maybe having someone that you want to groom into your future fifteen with Sauter, uh, having some reps in this game would have been uh, would have been an interesting interesting play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Sauter's uh, Sauter's a good player. I think, you know, his the injury that he suffered might have hurt his chances at being on this team, um, but uh, which is just unfortunate. But I mean, he, he's great, man. He's gonna be playing. He's gonna be killing it in the MLR next year, and he, he you know, he's uh, gonna he's gonna have another shot to come back to the World Cup in four years, and uh, you know, he's gonna be obviously Canada's not going to get that automatic qualification spot. So uh, he's going to have to, he's going to, I think he's going to end up playing a big role in getting Canada back to the world cup as well. Oh, for sure. Uh, one of the, uh, one of the interesting things I think kind of looking at this game though, is um, DTH Vandermerver, um, who uh, has been held trialless in the first three games. Um, so this gives him, this is his last shot to um become one of the uh you know the prestigious few that have scored a try in four separate world cups um so this is his last chance to do it so i think you know kind of keep an eye on keep an eye on that because he could possibly put in a little bit of a historical performance um to if he scores one try he does that if he scores two tries he hits 200 points 40 tries 200 points so um for canada internationally so there's a couple of milestones that could be in reach for your dth here now, now, Derek, I want you to kind of run down this uh, Namibian lineup because, you know, as Canadian rugby fans, we haven't played Namibia a lot, if at all, for a long time. Uh, so what are we going to expect with this lineup? I mean, you know, like you said before, they had a fantastic first half against the All Blacks. Uh, you know, they were within one point of the All Blacks after for 30 minutes. minutes. Yeah, that's that's impressive. So, what can we expect from this Namibian lineup? Uh yeah. So Namibia, a couple of things. Like part part of the reason they were able to hang in with the All Blacks, um, their hooker Torsten Van Jarlsfeld, um, he was he was outstanding. He uh, absolutely like he was getting the upper hand on All Blacks at the breakdown consistently. Um, he had a, a handful a handful of steals. 
um, the handful, and you know, was able to create a lot of turnovers. And you could even kind of tell, like watching the game, he was starting to like visibly frustrate like all black players, um, just because he was able to, you know, just find a way to get it uh, to legally get his hands on the ball. Um, and he was legally actually, legally get his hands on the ball. Um, and you know, he was doing doing a great job of it. Um, uh, Prince Gosseb, um, had, so he had an interesting game too. Um, so a game against the All Blacks was actually his first, um, his first, uh, World Cup game. He's only 21 years old. He plays for the, uh, Blue Bulls in the Curry Cup though. Um, so he's you know, very ta- talented, uh, talented young player. Um, and, but he had 25 tackles against the All Blacks and, at a very high um, tackle success rate as well. Um, so his performance uh, appears to have allowed him to stay in that number six jersey um, to start against Canada. So it'll be interesting to see what he kind of brings to the table here as well. Um, their captain, uh, Johan Dessel, um, again, he's just, he's a really he's a quality center. A little bit unorthodox uh, as a captain being in the centers. Um, typically, it's not really a position that you see captaining aside. Um, but you know, it's from, uh, but you know, he he does a really good job of like he he can he can see the game really well, and he can like he is good at like um, making those strategic calls, um, such as like hey, let's just kick for points against the All Blacks, as we'll be able to hang around for as long as possible. Um, the one thing that uh, and oh, and of course uh, Eugene Gentis, who's uh, again he's a veteran of many World Cups. Uh, it's been around for a while, so he he really he knows like you know um, that'll be one of those guys that it's like he you know the, Namibia hasn't won a World Cup game and you know this could be Gen uh, G's uh, last shot at it um, at winning a game. So I mean I'm sure like the Namibian players are super fired up for this, um, you know get a uh, you know end the uh, end the tournament on a high here. Um, but like the one thing though that um, uh, the All Blacks. The, the game that uh, Namibia played against the All Blacks that they did really well was they made the All Blacks work to get the ball back. Um, it's been something that we have we've talked about in the um, and it's been something we've talked about that we would like to see Canada do a lot more of. Um, so they're obviously not a very flashy team, but they they make it very difficult um, on you to actually get the ball back. Which the All Blacks even themselves even seem to struggle with, and eventually, you know, they would just work phase after phase. They just had, um, you know, good protection for uh, good protection for the ball. There was good support there at every ruck, and they were able to lure the All Blacks into taking some penalties. Some of them are definitely were definitely penalties that Steve Hansen would probably be very angry with, um, but they were able to lure them into taking those penalties anyways. Um, so, and, but that's the thing with Namibia is Namibia's play style because they're, they're typically, you know, kind of in, in most of the games or that they play, they're t- typically punching above their weight class. So it's like, they have no problems with, if you take a penalty, they'll put the points on the board and just kind of sl- keep that scoreboard ticking over. So if Canada does struggle to actually win some of the breakdowns and get the ball back, um, and they start taking penalties, uh, Namibia is going to turn those into points. Um, so especially, um, they, uh, Loseb is a very good kicker as well. Um, so it should be, um, sorry, I think I pronounced his name wrong. Hold on. Let me just, uh, Laubser, sorry. I do. I said the wrong guy's name. Uh, Clive Lane Laubser. He's the, uh, so he's typically 
um, the Namibian kicker. Um, he's their fly half as well. He's he's very accurate. He's very good at what he does. Um, he's has most of the points that Namibia has scored at this World Cup because that's how they get the majority of their points. Um, Damian Stevens, the uh, the guy that actually kicked the three goals against the All Blacks, will be coming off the bench. Um, so we're probably going to see him later in the game as well. Again, he's very he's very good off the boot. So um, if you do start taking penalties, um, these guys will make you pay for it. So. Right. And you know what? We, we saw a game in the ARC where a team kicked their way to a win against Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, Brazil did it. They, they forced Canada to make too many handling errors to too many yeah. uh, penalties, and they kicked their way from Josh Reeves, who I still cannot, I will never cheer for him because of that game. But you know yeah. what? It, it will be a very interesting, uh, interesting game to watch because, again, for so many of us Canadian fans, some of these guys are unknown. I mean, the Curry Cup isn't very accessible here in Canada, so yeah. it will be very, very fun to watch. It's um, the, the, the one thing, though, like, is just, I mean, they are, obviously, they're the, the lowest-ranked team at this tournament. Um, they, like, they play, like, they're in Africa, so they kind of, there's, they're, but they're basically the second-best team in Africa uh, behind the Springboks. But like they just they do kind of beat beat on some of the other African nations uh, pretty handedly, um, even putting up some triple digit scores when they do like their own like continental tournaments. Um, they did beat Uruguay earlier this year, and um, like they they did beat Uruguay earlier this year. They looked uh, and you know they played better against Italy than Canada did. They played better than South Africa than Canada did, and they that first half they definitely played better against the All Blacks than Canada did. Um, so like, I'm just saying, like, if you're a Canadian fan, don't be fooled. Uh, this is not going to be an easy game. Um, Namibia is going to bring it and argue like they have, they have a lot to play for. They want that first, you know, they've been in the world cup since 1999. So, and they still don't have a win though. No, so they, uh, they're looking at Canada as their best shot to get this W for themselves too. Uh, they are hungry. All right. Well, we're going to move on with more world cup news. Uh, and th- this is this has been an interesting discussion on on social media. Uh, you know, Typhoon Hagibis, and I, I'm sorry if I don't uh, say it correctly, everyone, but I don't take too many measures to learn Typhoon names. Uh, it is going to be touching down in uh, Japan uh, within the next 24 hours, and World Rugby has decided to cancel uh, two games that have uh, pretty big stakes in them. Um, New Zealand versus Italy, and the, the bigger one in, in a lot of fans' uh, minds is England versus France. Um, the England versus France one is tough for some fans because really it was a battle for the top of the pool. Um, and and to, to kind of take that away from, from some fans, especially England versus France, is just one of the top rivalries in any sport. I mean, you mentioned the French hating the English, the English hating the French. It's just, it's natural. It comes out of your natural. So to to take that game in a World Cup out of the equation is, is a tough decision. I mean, the New Zealand versus Italy game, it doesn't have as much weight to it. I mean, there's still two Tier 1 well, nations that don't get to play each other a lot, which would have been a really fantastic game to watch. If, if Italy wins this game, though, they like which, I mean, stranger things have happened uh, than Italy winning. Um, if Italy wins this game, they, they move on and New Zealand's out. So... Um, at least like England versus France. I mean, it's obviously it's a cool game. It's a six nation, you know, six nation game at the World Cup. Um, big rivalry, like you said. 
But the it'll, at least, you know, both of those teams are moving on. It's just a, like they're playing for seeding, really. Um, Italy is Italy essentially got eliminated because of a typhoon, which is tough. But yeah. it, isn't New, wouldn't New Zealand move on? It would be South Africa that would have gotten eliminated. It's interesting. We would have had. I haven't looked at the points, no, and the yeah, bonus it, points, and stuff like it, that. Uh, I think. Yeah, I believe it would have been. Uh, it depends on the actual score of the right, game. Whether yeah. it would have been, whether it would have been uh, South Africa, or New Zealand. You're right, and, and again, I, that's, yeah, I believe. That's... Yeah, I believe it just would have depended on the actual score if anybody and, got a bonus point in the game too. And I think that's what frustrated a lot of fans because of that. Because I mean, yeah, like New Zealand's got 16, South Africa's got 15, Italy's got 12. Anyway, that game turns out would have been a very, uh, very interesting uh, uh, turn of events. So it really is something that, uh, and I, I think those points are included after the cancellation. So yeah. even before you take away the, the the draw from them, and I don't know how many points it is, it still would have been a very, very close uh, point differential. Now, Derek, do you think this was the right decision or the wrong decision? I think it's a pretty easy answer for me. Uh I think this really was the right decision. I mean, yes, this is rugby. Yes, it's the World Cup, but people's lives are at risk. And when you're when you're a governing body and you're gonna have that many people in a stadium, you can't take the risk. What? How do you feel about that? Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's 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 tough. It's obviously it, it's you know rugby and the rugby World Cup is not more important than people's lives. Um, you know, the, the outcome of, of the Rugby World Cup, whoever wins the Rugby World Cup in a couple of weeks is significantly less important than, um, than people's lives. Um, you know, the, I, I agree with the decision because, you know, above all, uh, uh, to cancel the games outright, above all else, um, the players, the, the safety of the players, the, the, the team staff, the you know the workers at the rugby world cup and obviously just the general japanese population um is uh significantly more important than um you know whether you know whether scotland or japan advances at the world cup or um so i think um well I, that one hasn't been canceled yet but it's i think you know it's you have to do it it's if you're you know the governing the governing body uh, people's safety is significantly more important than a rugby game um i think though um obviously uh you know canceling games is the worst possible outcome for rugby can or for uh, not for rugby can excuse me the worst possible outcome for world rugby um nobody wants to see games get canceled which kind of just kind of tells me that it's like they're at the point where they feel like they have no choice um because it's obviously not it, it's it, canceling games isn't beneficial to any party involved, um, even if it is the right move. I th- think a lot of people were were upset that there weren't any contingency plans for for this typhoon. I mean, you're putting a tournament in the middle of Japan's typhoon season. Why was there not a contingency plan being done? And I think I think, and and this this is my opinion. I think a lot of it is also a fi- it's a financial issue because you're asking. Uh, World Rugby to then find how many more venues that you need in a safer location. You have to transport all those people. You know, you have to. You don't have to worry about the fans because really, at this at that point, you're just having the games being played. But 
there's a lot of financial factors that that deal into this and and to be perfectly blunt world rugby is still not a very good uh, not very good a very large uh governing body for a sport you know it's yeah. not as easy as if you know the IIHF or fifa uh you know uh needed to make this decision you know fifa could easily have a contingency plan to make this happen because they've got the money to just say okay yeah that's not a problem you know world world rugby doesn't have that flexibility in terms of financial it's, power it, it's tough man like there is obviously like there, there's a lot of issues like it's you can't just uproot uh, like a major sporting event um mm-hmm. and go you know to different cities um it is it is difficult and you know even yes i know the england team hopped on a train and went to a different city um but yeah but like it's it's that like that's not the same thing as uprooting a game. There's a lot of factors to the games. So even if you don't bring fans, you're still going to need security around the building. You're still going to need medical professionals on hand who, if in the middle of a typhoon, probably have something better to do. Um, and there's yeah. also going to you have to you know you have to bring all all the camera people, um, all the media stuff. You need a TMO. You need all the refs. You need all the players, all their staff. You need to get them to the new venue. You need to figure out a way to get them back to. Um, so like, there's a whole lot of going on with that. Obviously, like, if we're kind of looking at it right now, like trains are being canceled, methods of transportation aren't there. Um, people are, and, people are getting stranded. Yeah, exactly. And there's a quarter and there's supposedly the quarter final next week, but that's the one thing too, is, you know, um, I, I don't know what necessarily world rugby's complete thought process on it is, but it's, you know, if you kind of look at the typhoon as a whole, it's a category five, which is, you know, just as bad as, you know, Hurricane Katrina. And Hurricane Katrina obviously did a ton of damage to Louisiana and basically blew the roof off of the Superdome. So maybe, maybe there's some like foresight here being like, hey, man, if this is really bad, you know, these stadiums are hosting knockout matches. Um, so maybe we got to figure out where to move the semifinals and stuff like that. Like, the, um, you know, ahead of time. Cause it's like, if, if in just in case, you know, like it's like the stadiums become unplayable after because, um, they're being wrecked. Um, my, I think overall people, like I said, people's safety much more important than the outcome of the rugby world cup. I do have, I do like. I do think maybe world rugby could be handling the situation from a PR perspective a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, basically like, uh, like you said, it's like, I'm sure they had contingency plans. I would just like world rugby should just host a press conference and just be like, all right, this was the contingency plan in the event that a typhoon was going to disrupt the game. So this is the contingency plan. And then this is why we couldn't do that and just kind of you know sit there and explain why you know like just even if if it's just explaining the difficulties of relocating teams uh you know even if it's like you couldn't find anywhere for the team to stay you could we couldn't find you know the even if it's like yeah the japanese police wouldn't lend security because they were dealing with you know a natural disaster or something uh no matter what the actual reason is it would just be nice to be like, it would just be nice to see like the full transparency of it, just to be like, like you know, just to kind of, I think, you know, to put everyone just their mind at ease of this, like, yeah, we, World Rugby, yeah, we did our best to do, uh, to reschedule, to relocate games, but unfortunately, this is what happened, and this is the reason why we couldn't 
implement our contingency plans. Yeah, I mean, guys, I mean, at the end of the day, this is just a sport. We love it. This is we're doing a podcast about this. I mean, we're putting time into this. Yeah, but this is this is sport. I, I'm yeah. not going to want like... people to play rugby, and I understand the frustration. This is these is people's careers that they've they've built, you know, to to get to this point. I mean, I'm sure there's some Italian players that are playing for the, for Italy for the last time, and they don't get the chance against to play the All Blacks. And also maybe pull out one of the greatest upsets, you know, in, in the tournament. You know, it's it's frustrating, but you know this this really ends at one point, and it's just a sport. Yeah, exactly. And you know, when when you kind of go and it's like, yeah, it, it, like you said, it is it is at the end of the day, it is a sport. It's something for entertainment. Um, people are obviously very passionate about it. Um, but like you know, honestly though, like uh, people like we're talking about whether or not Japan and Scotland are going to play each other on Sunday and it's like if that typhoon hits on Saturday and it's like like is the are the Japanese team like are they gonna be up for that game? It's like man and like if they're like you know they're getting ready for a game they have like their phones blowing up because like you know their family's calling them to let them know that like their house is destroyed or you know the family business um you know is gone because uh like it's flooded and everything's damaged because of like a typhoon. Mm-hmm. Like, are those guys going to be, like, are they going to be up for it? Are they, like, are their minds going to be, like, hey, like, I got to, you know, try to go back home and help, you know, help my family, like, you know, prevent some damage to, like, our own property or, you know, like, are, like, uh, and I'm not exactly sure off the top of my head how many members of the Japanese team are from the areas that are supposed to be, you know, hit, but... Like I'm sure they're gonna know people um, in parts of those cities and stuff as well. So, um, like that's I think that's also maybe something to think about. Like it could it could be, like obviously you know this is just you know kind of speculating. It'll be like hopefully everybody in Japan stays safe, um, and you know the typhoon doesn't necessarily you know doesn't hit like as hard as um, what's anticipated. Certainly, hopefully not as hard as something like Katrina because that was devastating. Um, but I think I, I agree. It's like, you know, safety, safety at this point has to be the highest priority. And if that means you can't play a rugby game, then, then so be it. I agree that I agree that canceling games is canceling games is something that world rugby doesn't want to do. It's, uh, it's the worst possible, like com- from a competitive standpoint, it's the worst outcome from for everybody. Uh, world rugby loses money by refunding tickets. They lose money from sponsorships. The teams are obviously the players obviously you know they don't get a chance to play um there's um scotland and italy are essentially going to be getting knocked out of the world cup because of a typhoon um and not their actual athletic ability or their on-field uh merits um which is a super unfortunate situation but you know it's you know what i mean but it's like it's 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 a tough day as a society when we're like we're way more concerned about the outcome of a rugby game than, you know, making sure like the, everybody in Japan is safe. Um, so, I mean, you got to prioritize a little bit here. Um, I hope I hope nothing that the Italian team and the Scottish team have been saying, um, some of like the accusation stuff that's been kind of tossed around, being like we have to play, um, has been saying comes back to, you know, sound super insensitive or anything after you know, the hurricane actually, or the typhoon actually hits. I just hope there's no, like, it's just because, you know, there, there is, there is, 
yes, Scotland, it does suck. And I know that you team as your coach is super upset, but there could be, there could be bigger things to deal with, uh, you know, come Sunday too. Yeah, I think a lot of people just need perspective about this, but yeah. it's fine. You know, we don't want to get too philosophical about this because it is a uh, it is a tough tough uh, pill to swallow for a lot of people. Um, so we're gonna move on. You know, we're we're gonna kind of keep on the topic of the World Cup, but we're gonna look to the future. Now, uh, CNN, which not really a hotbed for rugby, um, but they did do a little article that kind of started some buzz on Twitter um, about. Uh, they interviewed a uh, captain of the Americans, uh, Blaine Scully, about what would it be like, what would it do for the sport in North America if North America hosted the World Cup? Now, to just give you perspective about this past tournament, there were 12 venues that were used in Japan. I think it's pretty easily feasible for people to look at either the East Coast or the West Coast of North America between Canada and the U.S. and say, we could find 12 proper venues to host a World Cup. Um, a lot of people have talked about it, and, and, and it's been a very interesting discussion. I think that it's worth mentioning because look at what Japan has done with their program. And you mentioned it earlier at the top of the, the podcast about the money that they put into it with them being hosts. You know, they've been able to focus on uh, producing a team that's at a higher level. They've been in higher test matches. And pick the team out of it. Just just the impact that it's had. If anyone's watched any of these games, like most of you listeners have, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're watching the World Cup games. Look at the fans that are there. A lot of them are young. I think the World Rugby did a good job of getting a lot of school groups to these games. Um, it's been very, very fun watching yeah. these fans those, those react kids to learning some of these games. Anthem, and, like, yeah, they have, like, those kids learning anthems of other countries and different languages is awesome, too. Oh, and the hakas and, and all the different bits and pieces to this tournament. It's really invigorated Japan's love for rugby, and it's only going to make their program swell. And I think that... Um, you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a couple quotes of what uh, uh, Blaine said. Um, it, you know, I think it's what all of us want. Um, you know, and, and he's kind of talking specifically about Japan's win against Ireland. It's good for the game. It's good for the rugby world, the rugby landscape. They're serving us as an example of growth of a rugby country, both on the field and through the experience they've been able to provide with the World Cup. I think the U.S. hosting the tournament would be a dream come true for a lot of us. You think it would be like running out of the tunnel in an American city representing the United States at the Rugby World Cup. Um, for us, it's making that focus on the nuts and bolts of growing American rugby to really get them impact. Now, again, what he's really, I'm paraphrasing, is, is if you're pooling money into, into U.S. rugby, into hosting this event, you know, teaming up with you know, Rugby Canada, or you know, if you really want to expand it, having maybe a, couple, a pool in Argentina... You know, you could really, really make this work and it could be a really exciting event. And, and North America is just, it's this untapped keg of potential for rugby to really uh, make some money. You know, there, there are tons of, uh, tons of opportunities for investment in North American rugby. And we're seeing that with MLR. I've talked a lot about this in the last few minutes, Derek. What do you think about this? Do you think that it's, it's 20, 2027 
too early for, for rugby in North America, uh, the World Cup, or do you think that it's an attainable goal? No, I think I think I think you could definitely make 2027 work. I mean, I'm not exactly an expert on how to bid uh, appropriately for the World Cup, but I think I think generally I think Blaine Scully's right. Um, you know, he's definitely on the right track of that. I think it would it would do massive things for um, rugby in in North America as a whole, not just the United States. Uh, regardless, hopefully, like, I personally would want it to be a joint bid. You know, maybe ta- use. Uh, BMO Field, use, uh, you know, BMO, maybe Commonwealth and uh, BC place. Um, and, you know, I think, I think that would be, that would be great for, uh, you know, for rugby in North America. But if it ends up, if, you know, if it's just that USA rugby wants to put that bid into, I think it would still be great for uh, North American rugby. Obviously, you know, we, we have, we have the stadiums we like everywhere. Um, it's like, we, we could definitely do it. We could even do something cool, man. If they wanted to be like, all right, let's see if we let's get like all blacks. You know, what what would what could sell out like the big house? What could we get like a hundred thousand people to a rugby game for? Do like the big house in Michigan, make it like I don't know, all blacks, all blacks England, all blacks Ireland, and just put it in like the biggest stadium possible, just because you can. That'd be cool. Uh, I think you could do. I, I think you could do a lot of things. I think he's right. I think like. The, the Rugby World Cup, too, um, you know, actually, sorry, uh, they, they had the FIFA World Cup in the United States, and that did a lot to, um, you know, raise the brand, uh, raise the profile of soccer in that country, um, in North America as well. Um, and I think, you know, with, with the uh, introduction of MLR, MLR would be, um, you know, kind of a, uh, nine years old at that point in time. Um, so it would, like, I think... Um, you know, if you you were to do that, you would have almost a decade of professional rugby in North America under your belt. So you can use that, um, you know, and even if it meant like he had put the the World Cup venues in like in, uh, you know, in those kind of MLR cities, like play, a, you know, put, play a game in Cowboy Stadium, play a game at BMO, play a game at, um, you know, Yankee Stadium or um, uh, where, sorry, I'm blanking on the name of the field that the Giants no, and you know- play at. And you know what, uh, I think I think one thing, too, is that I think they would probably try to keep it on one coast to keep the, the, time, yeah. the times consistent. But, I mean, even if you think about, like, just the GTA, like, you've got, you have BMO Field, you've got the Rogers Center, you've got, if you want to have a smaller venue, I mean, some of the venues... Um, at, at this J- uh, Japan game, were a little bit smaller. If the rent- supposed renovations at Landport Stadium are going to happen, that's another spot you could have them. Um, mm-hmm. You could have them Tim in, in Hamilton, and, and that was a great venue for a rugby game. Um, yeah, and then, a, and that's you, a sweet stadium. Yeah. Like there, there's tons of so so many options that there, this there can is, make it yeah. work. Um, yeah, that, exactly. If you were to isolate a coast, you could do that too. Obviously. Uh, you know, the, obviously a rugby pitch is bigger than an NFL uh, field, so um, but not bigger than a CFL field. So Canada, we have we have those built for you already. That's oh another reason God. why the CFL is better oh, than the NFL, oh by the way. Oh, my God. But, um, <sighs> but like, yes, but um, the bigger picture, though, I think, regardless of where you actually play the games, um, it would 100% raise the profile of rugby, of rugby within North America. But I completely agree with Blaine Scully's assessment of the Japanese program. 
um, how like they they did they got they got like they found out they were hosting they put more money they put more resources in and the team got a lot better to the point where they're they they're they're beating teams like Ireland and the Springboks and Ireland like they beat the Springboks is probably the more shocking upset but Ireland is probably the more impressive win because that was you know they were the number one ranked team in the world heading into the tournament and you know Japan won that game. There is not a minute of that game versus Ireland where you even remotely look where it even remotely looks like Ireland's the better team on that pitch. Um, I, that was full eighty minutes of Japan just being flat out better than Ireland, yeah. um, which was great to see. Um, so as uh, and so like their program's getting a lot better, I think. But it works. Um, if you want like to go outside of the world of rugby, for an example, too, um, uh, the South Korean hockey team. Um, South Korea was obviously awarded the Olympics, uh, the Winter Olympics in 2018. Um, and, you know, when they did that, they were like, well, hockey's one probably, you know, one of the most popular sports at the winter. It's like the marquee event of the Winter Olympics is the, the hockey tournament. So they, they pumped in a lot of money into the hockey program. They, they brought in some import players to help the program. They developed, they, you know, they put in more resources into their own domestic league. They developed all their players. And by the time the tournament, the, the Olympics even rolled around, um, uh, South Korea did well enough to actually get promoted to, um, to Division A and they were actually competing in the world championships that year, and they're still going to compete in the world championships uh, next year as well. Um, so, like, they're they they're, they got to you know they took their team from being like I don't even know what they were thirty or forty something in the world to being able to actually develop that program, pump the money in because of the Olympics, and move all the way up to the top twenty to be able to compete in the actual like the full scale world championships. Um, on the, the merit of their actual hockey ability, not just because the Olympics was awarded to their country, which is something that people kind of, especially in the hockey world, it was something that people were kind of worried about, whether South Korea should actually be allowed to compete in that hockey tournament. Uh, but by mm-hmm. um, at that point in time, because they were such a low-ranked team, but they put so much money in, they pumped in the money, they pumped in the resources to get the coaching better, players better, facilities better, and by the time the tournament actually rolled around, um, they deserved to be there. So, um, like, that's... Um, and, I mean, th- they lost all their games, um, but, like, they act- they didn't look like they didn't belong, and then they played at the World Championships, and they played well enough to uh, allow them to stay there next year. And I think that's a great point. They, right. they, they, worked, they worked their way up with... with being yeah. able to, to host host this, this event. all after hosting and I don't see I don't see especially with the advent of major league rugby um, I don't see why uh, whether it's Canada hosting whether it's the United States hosting um, I don't see how hosting a World Cup in North America could have any negative benefit to the sport of rugby in North America um, plus I mean you know like honestly like you said too like it would be cool um, we know like we know part of the draw of you know play of you know playing rugby in the in the states is just going to be the fact that it's in the United States, which is probably which might be one of the more sport mad countries in the world. But it would be cool, man. Like we could have like it would be cool to just be like yeah, World Cup final in Chicago, World Cup final in Los Angeles, World Cup final in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, it would it would be cool to see that happen. 
Um, also, it would be great because I am a huge fan of major international test matches in my time zone or close to it. <laughs> um, so I'm a big fan of that. I love I love the Argentina All Blacks test match every year when it's in Argentina because it's in a it's in a time zone. It's in a close time schedule. zone. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I love it. It's the best. Um, so if I can get a full out World Cup on my time zone, I will be the happiest person in the world. Um, but ultimately, I think yeah. There's hopefully they put in a bid because um, I hope and I hope it's a joint bid um, and I hope they can actually make something that uh, work out with that because it would be fantastic for rugby here. Yeah, and the last thing I want to say about that, and you kind of just mentioned a little bit of it, by co-hosting, you know, we've seen it before, you know, they just announced a few months ago that Canada, Mexico, and, and the U.S. will be co-hosting a World Cup for soccer. So, you know, that'll be, it, it can be done, and it kind of sh- it kind of shares the, the financial load. Uh, but you know what, that is where we will finish our kind of conversation about the World Cup. We have just a, one little bit to talk about with uh, MLR. And again, there was a shocking signing in, in the, the MLR world. Connor Keese did sign with uh, Rugby ATL. And I, I know we joke about it, and, and we will talk about uh, Nanu in a second. But uh, I wanted to bring up Keese because I think it's a really interesting signing in terms of, you know, Connor Keese is a young uh, rugby player. You know, he kind of only burst onto Canada's scene uh, this past calendar year with the ARC. And I think that this is a really good chance for him to develop. And I think this is what I want to see from MLR. I want to see these fringe guys that are that that sometimes get past starts to really be playing more games. And I think that's that's what when I watch Connor Keys, I say he's got the raw talent, he's got the, the the brain for it. He just doesn't have the like the absolute uh, tendencies, the muscle memory to be able to continuously play at a high level. So I'm really excited to see him get signed. Mm-hmm. But Derek, your guy you really wanted to talk about signed with the San Diego Legion. So, so tell everyone how you feel about it, what it is, what kind of impact does this signing with uh, Nanu have with the North American rugby scene? Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me personally, this is easily the biggest signing of um, uh, in MLR history. Uh, no disrespect to uh, Digby Ione, Matthew Bastero, or Ben Foden. Um, but not news kind of on a bit of a different level. One of the, the few cent, uh, Centurion All Blacks, over 100 caps for the All Blacks, two-time Rugby World Cup champion. I don't even think I can count to how many Bledisloe Clubs he's won um, or rugby championships or any of his other titles. Um, but, you know, he's, he's widely regarded as one of the best centers to ever wear the black jersey and probably one of the best centers all time. Uh, of all time as well and you know to have a player of his caliber come and join major league rugby um is outstanding plus it also brings just the fact that he is nanu um just raises the profile of the league um exponentially there was um i kind of i looked around before we actually started recording the podcast there was articles um from new zealand media talking about uh major league rugby there were some articles from some of the australian media some uh uk media as well um discussing the fact that nanu just signed with a major league rugby team um so it's like it made it made news um across the rugby world um, which just raises the profile of the league to a lot of rugby fans as well. 
And, you know, hopefully, you know, players all talk and hopefully he has a great experience uh, playing in Major League Rugby. And, you know, hopefully, you know, there's some guys, if there's guys out there that are looking for a team for whatever reason, regardless of which stage of the career they're at, if they're, you know, uh, toward the end of their career, but then maybe they just, you know, they just they don't want to play super rugby anymore, but they're not ready, quite ready to hang it up yet. Uh, maybe they'll start looking for to MLR. Maybe they'll see some guys um, that, you know, maybe just maybe maybe they just, you know, need a new team. They want a new challenge that they want to come to MLR because they can look at Major League Rugby and be like, well, if Major League Rugby is good enough for Bastero, uh, Nanu, uh, Foden, um, Ione, it's like then it's good enough for me. And like, um, I think it just helps kind of legitimize the league. Um, it really helps legitimize the league because he's one of the best, like he's one of the best all blacks ever. Um, so, uh, it's, you know, to have him here is kind of crazy. Um, you know, this is easily the closest thing, uh, we have to major league rugby has to a David Beckham equivalent, um, from MLS so far. Um, so, uh, but I really, I really think the thing that I think no one who's benefit really is going to come down to is going to be marketing. Um, you know, uh, we are, I, uh, again, if you go to San Diego's, uh, social media right now, um, they're kind of already starting to do it. Um, if you buy season tickets now, it comes with a free, uh, a Nanu jersey. Um, so, uh, they're already, they're already kind of jumping on that. Um, rugby, uh, the one thing too, that I really liked rugby United New York put up a post about, you know, the, uh, Foden versus Bastero matchup, um. They put out the date of when that's happening, making sure people tune in, make sure people go buy their tickets. Um, but um, that's where I kind of think it is, is it's, you know, uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, there's there could be a lot of rug. There's like not everybody can afford no matter how big of a fan you actually are. Not everybody can afford um you know, to can afford season tickets or can even afford uh, to go to, uh, you know, two games or one game. Um, so it's like, I think for a lot of fans out there, like if you're kind of looking at the major league rugby schedule and be like, I can go to one MLR game this year, uh, which team should I watch? It's like San Diego just became that team. Um, cause mm-hmm. that's because of Nanu. Um, so I think like, I remember, uh, I used to work for an OHL team when Connor McDavid was in the league and it's what I kind of compare it to Connor McDavid did not play in front of a crowd that wasn't sold out. Um, the entire time he was in the, the OHL and that was even, it wasn't even just like, uh, his team selling out. It was like other teams would be like, they'd be putting out radio ads to be like, Hey, Connor McDavid's playing us tomorrow. Come watch it. Um, so it's like, I think, you know, I really hope, you know, teams are able to effectively leverage Nanu being in the league um, for those marketing purposes. And I hope wherever San Diego goes this year, um, they're playing in front of just massive crowds. Um, so I think, you know, his his impact um, uh, definitely goes beyond the pitch. His impact on the pitch is going to be um, scary. Um, have you looked at the San Diego Legion backline? It's, uh, it's nuts, man. It's... They are. They they lost to Seattle, and I think they've had enough of this. Um, so they they are they are their their backline looks unreal right now. Um, they're out for blood, that's for so, sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, they're they're gonna be scary. Um, I'm so happy they play in Toronto this year because um, like I just want to watch Nanu play live, man. Like that'd be cool. Um, he's got a, I think the one key thing for him too is that um, 
you know, there's a like Nanu has a super entertaining play style. Um, he very much is of the school of run through you, not around you. Um, so I think, you know, hopefully there's some potential he can get, you know, uh, with him being in the league. Uh, hopefully he can maybe create some highlight reel plays. Um, and, you know, uh, we can start seeing, you know, hopefully, you know, if anything's crazy enough and stuff, you can get some highlights on some of the more mainstream sports shows and stuff um, because that's kind of um, talent that he brings to the table. I think I think it's exposure, right? You know, yeah. a lot of uh, New Zealand and uh, international fans will start paying attention to this league a little bit more. You know, he, he, all, he was in contention with this uh, New Zealand uh, World Cup team up until mm-hmm. the bitter ends. So, you know, he, yeah. he still has a lot of talent to give to this team. And even if, you know, uh, on Reddit, they were trying to make a uh, the lineup and there's so many options with the centers and the wing and for, for <laughs> San Diego. So if they have to it's keep nuts. one, if they have to keep one center on the bench, just so Nanu uh, is able to come off, you know, halfway through a game, you know, it's a long season, might not have to play all the games. San Diego is not going to be hurting if they don't play Nanu. Like he is what? putting them over the top but they can still be the best team with him not in the lineup. So there, he's in a great situation where he can make an impact in every game he's in, but yeah. it's not like detrimental that he has to play, which is really, really interesting. But I think um, I agree with you, and may- maybe that might be the smart thing to do from a coaching standpoint, but from a marketing standpoint, he's playing 16 games this year. <laughs> he's, playing, and he's playing 16, maybe uh, probably more games. Uh, maybe 18, maybe 19. He's, he's like, playing 16 he? games this year. He's like, what, 37 now, though? I don't know. That's hey, a lot, hey, of, that's it's a lot all, of games. It's, 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 run it, the poor guy to the ground. Hey, Hubert Hubert Biden's did it. If Hubert Biden's can do it and then go play in a World Cup after, Nanu can do it. He's playing 16 games this year. Just uh, because... R.I.P. Nanu. It's, it's your... It's, he, he should. He should, man. There's a lot of players in the league that uh, played that. Um, that's true. You're right. It, no, that's why. Like, it, there's there's a lot of guys that played all 16. Peter Molazzo played almost every minute. Yeah, but he's um, he's young. He's spry. Nanu's one of the best ever, though. Like, he can he can, he can do it. Uh, can maybe, do it. but um, I mean, I just think it's one of those things where it's you know the like if if he does like I just think like kind of it's one of those things where it's just you know it's you see the the people get upset with the NBA a lot for you know they rest their stars and stuff and it's just you know some of these guys are like these this like he's going to be your key marketing guy so um you know obviously don't force him to play through like an injury or something like if he's hurt he's hurt but um I think I think the league as a whole would significantly benefit from uh from Nanu playing as much as possible for the exact All same right. reason I mentioned, every team can use Nanu to help sell tickets. Well, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, we, we, again, we will see. We, we do not know. We are not San Diego. But yeah, uh, that's I, gonna I, be... I'm not making the coaching decisions. That's up to yeah. Rob Bodley. So yeah. we'll, see what, we'll see what he comes up with. He does have a lot of options, though. Yeah, a lot of weapons in that, that holster. Uh, but we're going to finish it up for tonight, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you have any comments, we've said a lot of things tonight. We've talked a lot, a lot of things. You know, it was that situation with the typhoon handled properly. Twenty twenty seven World Cup in North America, is it feasible? You know, what are Canada's chances against Namibia? Let us know on Twitter at Le Rouge Rugby. And uh, Derek, thanks for thanks for uh, coming on tonight because uh, there was a lot to talk about. 
Yeah, no problem. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes. Happy Canadian Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, I was just looking at our where does everyone listen to stats. So we haven't really branched out. Uh, I'm assuming a North American fan was in Japan listening to our last episode because we had a, we had a Japan listener pop up. Unless you're an, a native Japan, then uh, thank you very probably much. Probably Brock. Yeah, it's probably Brock. Thanks, probably Brock, Brock, for listening to Japan. <laughs> uh, but thanks, everyone, and uh, enjoy these last few games of pool play. And then uh, the next time you hear from us, uh, the quarterfinals will be starting.